Hi, and welcome to the Good Fundraising Podcast, where we bring together nonprofit thought leaders and change makers to talk about what's good in the world of fundraising and what could be better. I'm your host, Alicia Mullenstein. Thanks for joining me today. Today, I'm speaking with Oliver Hibbs, Director of Digital and Strategy Integration at Blakely Inc. Oliver has 20 years of fundraising experience, previously working at the Nature Conservancy of Canada for 10 years, leading the annual fund. As nonprofits are reassessing all their summer walks and their upcoming fall and year-end galas, I hope this conversation today is helpful. Oliver, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about how nonprofits are bringing their events online now in this age of COVID. Really look forward to sharing your experience with everyone. Thank you. And you have a very interesting background for how you come to events right now. Could you share that with us, please? Sure. I am a 20-year fundraiser uh, based in Canada um, and primarily have been annual and uh, digital-led fundraiser, traditionally an events person. um, But in this uh, modern day of the sort of digital acceleration that we've seen in the past sort of five or six years that has been um, accelerated even more greatly in the last three or four months, um, there's been a lot of innovation that I've been involved in in regards to events Uh, and what they're going to look like in the future. Well, I think that has to be the perfect experience for the current moment right now. Since you've been working with Blakely and your clients in this current environment, can you talk a little bit about what you've seen work for those who've brought their events online? Yeah, I think the, the, the key term that I believe people are really starting to understand is engagement. Events have always been there to engage, but we've used things traditionally like galas and runs and walks and other things like that, where really the engagement is the activity in itself. You know, as I said, you go for a run, you're going on a 5K or you're going on a 10K or you're going on a walk, whatever it is that you're trying to do. But as we're shifting more into the digital part, the engagement is now more closely connected to the actual mission of the charity. How do you create events or think of events or think of things that people can do that are more closely aligned to what the actual charity is doing? And I really believe that that's how the sort of innovative nature of what it is that we're going to do. Another thing that's obviously happening is, is that with people, with the changing acceleration in digital and also the sort of changes in the way people are engaging, uh, they're looking for new and different things. An example that I, I bring up as is as we've gone through this COVID situation, it's amazing how many people have engaged with different types of events because there's been such a lack of content out there that people are looking to do pretty much anything. So we have a very ripe market for people who are looking for different ways to engage with charities, events, with just content in general. It seems to make perfect sense that you would see such high levels of engagement right now, especially as people have been looking for new ways to connect with communities and not feel so isolated while they're staying safer at home. So, you know, I'm curious if you think that this current moment was just the, the straw that broke the camel's back and pushed digital events to the forefront. Is this something that's been in the works for a while and now it's just found its moment to shine? I completely and absolutely agree. It was it was moving this way. And when you look at sort of traditional ROIs in campaigns and when, when, when senior people are looking at, you know, how much money you're making on things, 
the shift wasn't happening as fast. So when you're trying to determine where your investment dollars are going to go, you know, should you create these new engaging events or should I just sort of stay with what I've got? It was easier to stay with what you've got. All of a sudden, you now have this very disruptive event happen. And this has created a situation where now all of a sudden you're like, well, what do I do? And I remember the first couple of weeks of COVID and especially from being where I am uh, at Blakely, the agency, we were kind of like, well, what's the how is the market going to react? And I think everyone was in that situation. They just didn't really understand how the market was going to truly react. And what we saw was it was this immense digital acceleration happened. The results across our clients, across basically all channels, just basically went through the roof. If you were active and you were you were out there and you were messaging in the digital space, you did really, really well. And now all of a sudden, there's been this huge loss of revenue potentially from events because of the fact that we can't really be on site anywhere that... We now have all of the senior people and events people and stuff saying, well, what do I do? How do I replace this revenue? How do I recover from this? And that's really kind of pushed forward through it. And then I think what's happened in this time period of the COVID time period is that people have, again, there's a lack of content. There's no live TV. People are on their laptops. I have, uh, I've seen statistics about how uh, laptop usage, tablet usage, people going onto streaming sites, people using Netflix, people using YouTube, everything has gone up. And also too, as you had mentioned, webinars. Webinars, what engaging content can we do? And I think what's happened now is, is that now people are saying, oh, well, hold on, results are coming in. People are using digital channels. They're all switching over really, really fast. And exactly, it's just kind of sent this, what was a slow-paced acceleration into a very fast-paced acceleration into the digital world? Well, as we think that this might be our new normal for the foreseeable future, what should nonprofits do if they want to get started? What, what are your suggestions for someone who's never really pulled off a successful, larger-scale online event? What should they know before they start? I think the most important part when we go back to the thought process of engagement is, is understanding who is it that you want to attend, right? A lot of times in my history from what I've seen, and this wouldn't be for all events, but for some events in history have been basically cash grabs, right? We're trying to create something. We're going to generate as much money as we can as possible. It's not that the events now that we don't want to do that, but at the end of the day, I think you have to focus now on when you did a run, you could get runners, right? So you could make money off of that. You could charge them a registration fee, whatever it be. Maybe they get a gift or two from someone else and you make some money off it, but there were runners. Now, all of a sudden, you need to look at the audience that you want to go to that event as people that you're going to have as long-term donors. They're the people that are going to be engaged and close to your mission. And how do you give them an event or an experience that can't be delivered in person that is going to be connected to the charity, is going to give them something that feeds their level of uh, want for engagement, right? It's, it's exciting for them. Maybe it's exciting for their family. Maybe it's informative, whatever it may be. And then also uh, they're willing to give money. And what I've seen is that in some of the previous event work that I have done, when you look at the people who actually give to the event, there's usually a large volume of people who will give money, but when you look at the bulk of the money, it's given by a very small percentage of people, right? So a particular event that I was working on last year was a run for a hospital here in Toronto. And when we looked at part of it, about 70% of the money was coming in from about 10% of the people who are participating. The Most of the other participants, it was a run, were just there to go for a run. 
right? And they had to pay a registration fee and whatever, and they were fine to do that because they got their kit and their bag and their shirt and whatever it else, whatever else they got with it, but they weren't really necessarily connected to it. So those people, that small group of people, how, when you're looking at an event now, how do you focus on them, right? And how do you make more of them? How do you find more of those types of people who are going to really be committed and give you the money that you're looking for? Because especially now in a virtual event, depending on what you're doing, say if you're at a run, you need 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 people to show up at the site because that's what creates that kind of engaging event because you've got all these people around. Well, you're not really going to be able to do that. And when it's virtual, there's a very good chance that the people who are engaging with it are doing it in their home or in their park or on their own, kind of in a DIY kind of way. What are you, what, like, you don't need to have thousands of them on site. You just need to have a certain set of very committed people who are willing to create those dollars that you want from this event. Do you see nonprofits then rethinking the type of events that they have been offering? And instead of looking for one big gala or one big event that will work for most people, instead looking at smaller audiences, maybe different segmentation and offering more bespoke events for those more tailored audiences? Uh, Yeah, I do believe that. I I believe that, uh, yeah, the... The need for extreme volume doesn't necessarily have to be there any longer, right? Find the people that are, are, that are connected, want that engagement, want to have that connection to the charity and do the act in which you want them to do or the, the event that you want them to do and get them to, in some ways, be your ambassadors. You know, another part of the statistics that we were looking at from the event that uh, I was working on in particular last year, I just, it just sticks with me, um, was that when you want to get people to go to their networks to give you money, sort of peer-to-peer style events, a lot of times when people do marathons and runs and things like that, the encouragement is, okay, go out and ask your entire network of people to give you a lot of money. And that can be a bit overwhelming and overbearing. And I've always found that the communication that comes out is more form letterish, and it doesn't seem very personal. And what we found was that encouraging people in events is to find those committed people and then just give them little nudges of encouragement to talk to one or two other people. They don't have to they don't have to go to the whole network. Just get the person, uh, you know, one of your colleagues at work or get your neighbor or something to support you on this event. And then you create momentum that way. And then if you can get them to move from one extra gift to two extra gifts, now all of a sudden the money will, will really expand for you. And that goes to that sort of when you saw 70% of the revenue coming from 10% of the people, those 10% of the people, that's what they're doing. The, most of those people were only getting about 10 gifts, 10 extra gifts from people, but it's because they're going to close connected people and they're, and they're just, they're all, they're just trying to do that. They're not trying to basically think that everybody they know is going to give them $20. Just go get one. And then if you can get another one, great. And when you, when you run the numbers on it, it's amazing how much more money you will make if you can just get those participants to just make that one or two extra steps for you. I have to imagine then that the retention that nonprofits are seeing from the audiences that attend these more personalized, smaller digital events it is far better than some of those more traditional peer-to-peer, certainly the athletic-focused events, right? Absolutely. And I think that that's a really key point to make, too, is is that when you when you look at coming from the annual side of the business, I was always, well, here's all the people we got through our events. 
And I'd have this long list of people that would come in and I'd have email addresses and things like that. And they were very tough to convert because exactly they were there for the event itself. They were there for the act of whatever the event is. If you narrow the audience down a little bit and you find people who are very connected to it, exactly, you're going to find long-term committed people. And you're going to find people too that, that connect with you because the event in which you're creating hopefully has a, has a very specific tie to your mission. So when they're participating in the event, they know why they're participating in the event. You know, unlike when you're doing a run, people are like, well, I'm doing a run. Uh, whereas if you're doing an event because you we're having a uh, camp out because you want to do something for homelessness, you, you have a better understanding of why you're doing that. And you're going to create a, more, a better and more committed supporter by doing so, which is going to improve renewals, is going to improve long term value, and it's going to improve all the sort of future fundraising efforts that you can come from that. And those people will potentially be uh, subsequent events participants in the future. For the groups that you've seen pull these events off successfully, how are they approaching their event planning now? What's changed with their an approach to planning events and their thinking around the events themselves? I think what I've seen, especially in the COVID acceleration, is that there are lots of events now being considered and planned, and they're done in a very different way. I think where the engagement right now in COVID has changed is the fact of being in digital and having to go fully digital. And charities are now seeing oh, wow, I can tell a different story, like, or I can tell a better story through different channels. And they're seeing the success in doing that. And now the sort of eyes are being opened up into, wow, what else can I do? And I think that's where the events is going right now. I know of a few and I'm working on a few events right now that we're, we're, we're trying to uh, roll out in 2020. Um, so for, for, for organizations as they try to replace some of their event revenues, um, so it's, I think it's going to be a very interesting time. And I think that if I was a charity right now, um, I would be having a serious look at what your event portfolio can look like uh, in the next six months to a year as you determine. Because the good thing about it, too, is, is that eventually on-site events will return. That will happen at, at some point. But you've got an opportunity to sort of diversify your portfolio of events that can engage different levels of people and audiences to do things to participate in those events. That's so interesting. You know, with a typical fundraising program, I know I've talked with people in the past about ensuring that you have a diversified portfolio, right? You've got your planned giving, you've got your major gifts, and events is part of that portfolio. But it's very interesting to think of events themselves as having a diversified portfolio. So not just that one big gala and that one big walk, but a much broader offering for different types of donors. And I have to imagine that lots of these opportunities are engaging maybe even some of those more traditional event donors in new and different ways. On the setup themselves, are there tools or platforms that you've seen work well for these types of events? Yeah, the tools and platforms is really important. And, um, you know, there are lots of excellent peer-to-peer -peer platforms out there. Um, you know, the, the list is pretty extensive of things that you've got. So whether or not you're a large charity or a small charity, um, the platforms in themselves are, are relatively good. I think really where the meat of it comes down to is is the concept of the event in itself. How you create, you know, you you just sort of mentioned about new donors and stuff like that. 
how do you take your your current audiences and your current you know sort of loyal audiences and create events for them that they will engage with uh, and that you can find more people like them and that will give you better people coming in you know what the digital world is doing is is the more important thing I think from a platform and tools perspective is understanding the journey and the concepts and things so you create an event how are you messaging that at first? What is the experience when they get like the actual experience of them registering, going to the website, going through it, like anything in digital nowadays, doesn't even matter if you're doing events, you could you would be talking about your donation forms, your website, whatever. Is it a good experience? Is it clean, concise? Is it easy for them to do? The, the, the imagery, the content, is it engaging? Are you getting that from people? Are you, or sorry, are you giving that to people? And then also to, because everything is digital and it's now mainly communicated through email, what is the, what does your email communication look like? How is that being automated in a way that you're delivering a sort of very specific journey to people as they go through? Um, you know, like a lot of times now with these sort of digital and virtual events is, you know, you've got a registration process and then you've got a kind of onboarding process during the event. And then you've got kind of almost like a coaching sort of slash, like, how do we encourage you? How do we create uh, this uh, momentum towards the event day? And then what is your communications when the event finishes? And what's the communication that comes out after that? Because you want these people to stay with you, you know, and because you've retained all of that information in digital, you've been able to collect so much first party data in doing so, you know, names, email addresses, maybe you've got demographic information on them, all kinds of different things you may need them to give you during the registration process, you can then build that into a longer term communication schedule. And, and I say this a lot about digital and it's not even just for events, it's for lots of different things is, is when you're out in digital, everything is there for a reason and there is a cadence to the way those communications go out and they should all be done with a purpose. And these events would be exactly the same way. You know, you want them to register, you want them to do something, you want them to engage, you want to create momentum, and then you want to communicate with them on the, on the other side of the event, showing the impact of what they did, but then preparing them for how you're going to create a longer relationship with them going forward. What about the stewardship of those existing high-value donors and, and corporations? How have you seen events and major gift officer teams work with the digital teams in the digital space to continue that more one-to-one personalized stewardship? I have to imagine that they're still heavily, heavily involved in this. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I say this all the time to people when I get in front of major gift teams, especially digital, it levels the playing field. Just because someone is affluent and wealthy doesn't mean they don't have an iPhone and sit on their couch and fiddle around on Facebook. That happens, right? So they're looking for engaging content also. When you have an email that's telling something of impact or whatever it may be, that's just as important to someone who's a major gift donor as it is to somebody who's a $20 donor. So it levels that playing field. So when you look at a virtual events and things like that, your major gift donors are very committed people. And a lot of times with virtual events and from my experience with them, the best thing to do in some ways is to create events that are very easy for people to actually do getting people to go and canoe across the country or something like that like that's that's hard to do you want to do something that's relatively simple um you know something that maybe they can do in their house or something that they can do on an afternoon or you know and there's nothing to say that somebody who is wealthy or affluent wouldn't want to do that too and the benefit from a major gift perspective is is that those people obviously have networks of people so if you can get them to go and get one or two of their networked friends to get involved now all of a sudden you have an opportunity to, to make quite a bit of money it's different than putting a 
$100,000 proposal in front of them for a, for a specific thing, but there is an opportunity for them to get revenues from some of their friends. And, and we have seen that, right? Sometimes when you look at those committed people and major gift donors in a lot of ways are very committed to organizations, they will participate because they want engagement too. They, they want to be able to go out and do activities too. Uh, and in this world too, they're still in a lot of ways stuck at home. They're not going out to events and things like that. So, um, you know, you, you're giving them an opportunity to do that. So yeah, I, I would absolutely look at if your event is tied and connected to the mission, I think there's a separate strategy for, for major gift people because you want your major gift officers to maybe presenting the event opportunity to them and talking to them about it and getting them, getting them involved and potentially encourage them to use their networks because their networks could be corporate and stuff like that too. Because a lot of digital and virtual events can be very good for corporate companies right now because corporates are going to struggle right now to be able to do a lot of engagement. You're not going to have conferences. You're not really going to have days out where you can bring the whole staff together. Um, so how can you do things where you can connect your employees without actually physically putting them in the same place? That's a great point. And I really like the idea that having these offerings out there could be beneficial for those major donors that maybe traditionally we've stuck them in a different bucket same with our corporates. We put them in the bucket that you have to do a gala, you have to buy a table, you, you are the type of donor who should do X kind of event. But there's a place for anyone to do any kind of event that they're interested in. And this might free some of those committed donors to find things that are actually more aligned with their interest and how they would like to support the organization without actually changing their level of support. It's just giving them more opportunities to find things that might be more interesting for them. I just add to that really quickly too. I think the... Um... We've seen through the COVID thing, especially during messaging very early in this, um, about how corporates have, have gone out with a, a, a very supportive message of, of what's going on. And they're not trying to like push product down. I think they're trying to stay brand. They're trying to put the brand out front. I think that consumers in themselves will expect that from corporations. We've already started to see it anyways, especially with younger generations. They want corporations that are, are, have more, uh, you know, corporate social responsibility policy and things like that. So I think the same thing with the employees, right? So you've got that momentum uh, there, right? You know, employees want to work for corporations that are doing good. And I think there's a lot of potential for corporates to sponsor potentially some of these events. And I think that, uh, you know, I'm working with a client right now that's, that we're, we're, we're trying to get a, a corporate sponsor to help with one of their virtual events because it shows that the corporation is giving back um, and, and also that the corporation not only will sponsor the event, but will also get their employees to potentially participate in the event also. Oh, fantastic. That's a great opportunity. Well, this has been so helpful and really interesting. Thank you for sharing so much with me. Um, I have maybe one or two more questions for you, and then um, would love to make sure that we tack on and cover anything else that you think is important on this. You know, you're obviously coming at this from the partner's perspective, but you've worked in nonprofits and you know some of the issues that can come up when we're dealing with quirky nonprofit cultures. So are there things that you would want to make sure that both partners and nonprofits are aware of when it comes to working with different teams, working with each other to pull these events off successfully? You know, I've said this a lot about digital. Digital, again, is it levels the playing field, not only for the way you look at your audiences, it levels the playing field about how you plan and how you do things internally. Being siloed and not collaborating internally is probably one of the biggest barriers that charities can have uh, when they're looking at digital. Again, traditionally, 
your events communication would go out in one silo, your annual communication would go out in another, marketing's doing one thing, majors over here. All of the people that are those audiences used to be siloed off. They're now not siloed off anymore because again, as I said, people who are major gift donors, they're on Facebook. People who are your event donors, they're on Facebook. Um, you have to have a more collaborative process of how you push to your audience in itself. Everyone kind of has to be on the same page. And, you know, what we're doing a lot, a lot of our clients right now is things like, what are all of the audiences? What are all the activities that are going on? And how does that lay out over a six month, three months, six months, year long period of time, right? And how do you make sure that you've got things that are being presented in and you know where the crossovers are going to be, right? Uh, and if you want to deliver a personalized journey for your supporters, you need to know that. You need to know what they're interested in, what they want to see. And you have to know that there are tons of different screens out there. They might see you on a out-of-home screen. They might see you on a tablet. They might see you in Facebook. They might see you on YouTube. You never really know where they're going to find you. Um, so you can't silo like you could back when we were sort of primarily offline. I think this, along with any other issue that's popping up with COVID, is going to highlight the database woes. It's going to highlight the organizational culture and collaboration woes. So it absolutely makes perfect sense that it's hitting home for these newly digital events too. Yeah, it's just it's another part of the mix when we look at the digital at the digital world, right? And and yeah, your first party data and how you segment your audiences and how you present things to them uh, is going to be incredibly important. And I've said this numerous times through this COVID team, everybody now has a greater heightened awareness about what is a good digital experience versus what is a bad digital experience. And that includes the way you shop, the way um, you're engaging with corporations, how you're engaging with brands, how you're engaging with charities, the events that you do, all of these things. Everyone's got it heightened. And another thing about it too is, is anyone who we felt was a late digital adopter, generally people who are more elderly, well, they're on the same acceleration path as anybody else, right? So now you've got to look at it like your full audience is in the digital world. Um, and how are you going to navigate all of those audiences and deliver to them what they want? And that comes through exactly as you said, database, segmentation, first party data, understanding it, collecting it and being able to use it properly. And if there is any place of making an investment, and I know we're not, we're talking events, but it's kind of mixes into it. That's where you really need to have a lot of investment as a charity right now is, is building out those journeys. That is great advice. Thank you, Oliver, so much for joining us today and talking about all these exciting new events online. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks again to Oliver Hibbs from Blakely for joining me today to talk about this rapidly evolving landscape of digital events. If you like the episode, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or any of your podcast platforms. And if you have an idea for a topic, please drop me a line at hello at goodfundraising.net. You can find show notes for this episode and all our episodes at goodfundraising.net slash podcast. Thanks again for joining me today. Until next time, please be nice and do good.